0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Welcome to series two of Broke and Ambitious with me, Frances Keaton. Each episode, I speak to a professional creative about how they got into the arts and how they managed to survive. We talk day jobs, good ones, bad ones and weird ones plus how to stay creative on the side and any money-saving tips. As we enter series two, I have a favour to ask. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to give the show a boost. My guest today is the director and comedian Rupert Holloway. After studying English at Reading University and working in arts consultancy, Rupert ran an established London theatre from 2010 to 2020, firstly as manager-programmer, then as director, directing 25 shows. He recently left the theatre world for a job in construction and to focus on stand-up comedy. Here is my conversation with Rupert Holloway. Welcome Rupert, how are you feeling today? Yeah, good. It's sunny today, which is lovely. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, I'm in Wales, you're in London. I think you've probably got the fairer share of the sun. <laughs> I want to talk about how we first met. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? We met through a friend, but our yep. first official meeting was at an escape room, mm. which is the fastest way to bond, I feel. So the concept was we were in a 50s film studio and the editor had been killed. Is that right? The editor
0: Something like Something that, like yeah. That. We had to work yeah.
1: And I remember, I remember the first map. room, you finding a map that was clearly just yeah. a bit of scene dressing, but you were convinced I, it was a clue.
0: You have remembered this wrong, Francis, because what I did was I got on with wondering what the marks on the map were <laughs> and logging them in my head so that when you guys had got over your, um, <laughs> you know, rudimentary task of putting different cables in different... <laughs> (laughs) in different jack slots which i just thought was was so boring i'd I'd move on to the next thing see if i could gain some some headway and then by the time that 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 task did roll around that map was did actually become necessary so
1: i don't remember that at all i just remember you standing (laughs) in the middle of this fake map trying to make sense Mm. of your own insanity and we were trying to solve some real clues
0: my approach was over the top my approach was yeah it was it was overly overly poirot
1: like yeah, exactly. hands behind
0: the back sort of like <laughs> tapping finger top lip kind of type deal that was probably you know there was yeah. nothing going on upstairs pilot light was out but yeah <laughs> just saw some, just saw some markings logged their coordinates it was hardly or- hardly ordnance survey but yeah.
1: Oh, fond memories. And the worst thing is that there was that guy, mm. you know, outside watching us.
0: On cameras, yeah. You know, like
1: hamsters in a cage. Absolutely, yeah. And sort of occasionally giving us clues because he could see we were getting nervous. Well, that was
0: what I loved, listening to Hannah's podcast, because she, of course, worked there, your other guest, and yes. she talked about that, yeah. didn't she? And um, it's an amazing yeah. company. And probably, yeah, must be the reason we actually all know each other, I suppose. Um, but... Uh, yeah, she described a couple that went in absolutely hammered and was just, like, <laughs> watching, you know, pe- things bump off walls. And, uh, yeah, so I'm glad we did better than that. We actually got out, didn't we? Sarah? We did. Oh, yeah. Thanks thanks to your strong <laughs> pep talks. And, thanks to your you know, map reading. We all got out there alive.
1: And then we went for a curry on Brick Lane. <laughs> yeah. What a day.
0: Yeah. Okay. That was nice. That was a nice evening. It was lovely. Good way to meet.
1: So, Rupert. You started directing plays at Reading University.
0: Yeah, Reading University, the ding. Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed Reading because some of my friends from from school at the time were were very astounded at how little work I had to do compared to them at their (laughs) universities, which is brilliant, um, which freed me up for a lot of time to run the Drama Society. Early noughties, you were a bit more elbows out, was a bit more acceptable in terms of how you sort of conducted yourself. So I remember... The, I, I only ended up being brought into the first Drama Society meeting to fill in for the PR guy who was either sick or worried or upset or something. And um I remember, like, the president at the time was just upsetting everyone so much that I just, on my first meeting when I was sort of just filling in for someone, I put my hand up for a vote of no confidence in him and then put my hand up as a potential replacement and no no one... No one else put their hand up as a potential replacement. So I just sort of took it over in my first meeting, really, within the first 20 minutes. And then from there, I sort of just didn't really look back and it was, I had a huge deficit. So I had to, I inaugurated a ball, a masquerade ball as a drama site fundraiser, which is still running today at Reading University, which I was pretty pleased with. Absolutely.
1: Your most recent job, and for 10 years, mm. you were manager and mm. then director at an established yeah. theatre in London. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, this podcast is all about day jobs, but you're kind of, flipping the format in a way (laughs)
0: yeah most people in the arts probably um have to sustain a, a day job because there's a very sort of few lucky few who are able to actually sustain the career on um just stuff their agent gets them you know and i guess the reversal of that is to find a job within the arts that is what you like I guess, um, or combine the two. So do something, if you're an actor, for example, do something that pays the bills in applied drama, right? Um, But I guess I sort of serve hopefully as a bit of a warning that you might not, it might not always work out, even if you do, because the closer you are to it as your day job, the less it becomes your passion sometimes. And because yeah. the nitty gritty of running a theatre in terms of production and contracts and insurance and it was commercial theatre, it wasn't sort of a very, it wasn't an Arts Council funded operation in itself, obviously lots of funded shows came through, but when it's commercial you are basically, everyone is living and dying on on your anticipation of the popularity of a product. Basically, I think running a theatre is a bit of a poison chance because if the show does really well, it's definitely because the show's really good and if it does really badly, it's usually because it was in the wrong theatre. And yes. um, and I've had to anticipate and preempt that quite often. Thing is, like, you, you, as a theatre runner, you would, um, so many things come through. All you can really do is make a call based on, because people obviously want you to support their, their show and stuff. All you can do is make, make a call on who to support based on how nice they seem as people. So I've had incredibly nice people come and do a show that, um, I loved having them around and they've got on with everyone and, and their show hasn't done particularly well or, you know, I've told someone who's shown themselves to be very obnoxious in the first ten minutes the door, and their show's become a complete hit. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's it's a uh, it, yeah, exactly. Fun. But you know, I found some really nice shows, directed a few good ones, produced a few good ones, and had a went a, had a great time over the ten years, and it was a great thing to do. But well, before COVID, really, I'd worked out that um, it wasn't a direction I wanted to keep going in.
1: Yes so your your day job was a stable job within the arts and it was kind of what you wanted to do mm. but now you've moved on to do more stuff freelance so we are going to flip the format so in whatever way you think it's best to answer what has been your best day job or your best part of your day job?
0: Oh definitely definitely the directing shows part of of running a theatre mm-hmm. I mean if you're the director of the theatre there's a certain amount of artistic output you're you're sort of supposed to do but it was a very alternative venue anyway, with lots of very different experimental stuff so I just sort of stuck to devising things or Shakespeare's or things that I know would, would do quite well but one of the, my favourite thing, things to direct was when I wanted to do a show that was more or less about a group of students who grew apart and met each other for a union and realised how much they'd grown apart and I knew the quickest way of doing that actually to just grab a load of drama graduates and just devise it and and then and sort of tap out the script as we as we locked in the division so sort of like a reverse of the process and that was really good and really really successful show a lot of people really liked it and um that was called Ring of Fire because it was about a drinking game they used to oh, play called really? Ring of Fire. That I'm sure many people have heard of. Oh yeah. Um, we didn't. That wasn't Method. Don't worry. <laughs> but exploring different different ways of acting drunk is always fun, isn't it? Because it's actually quite a, quite a skill, and everyone's oh, got no, a, no. everyone's got a different brand of it, don't they? But actually, one of the, one of the weirdest things that I remember having to sort of facilitate at the theatre was some of the early days we had um, shit Shakespeare. In fact, we had one of their last shows before they went to Broadway, and. Yeah, the process of uh, the insurance and everything is the sort of boring bit, but it's quite, It's for, for the the actor has to rotate because they can't be that drunk two nights in a row for their health. And, mm. you know, they have to drink very slowly over a number of hours to get that drunk. And then they have to drink water very slowly under supervised circumstances in the dressing room for a number of hours of <sighs> pence. And, and it's, uh, it's, you just sort of, don't really clock the kind that kind of stuff that goes in in behind the scenes and things but no, yeah that's
1: such an interesting
0: insight <laughs> yeah i suppose shit shakespeare for those who don't know is when one 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 of the actors in the shakespeare is is definitely re- in reality drunk and trying trying to perform the show hammered and it's uh, a great concept
1: no, i love it i saw it once but i can't remember what shakespeare it was so i think i must have been pretty shit-faced mm. as well just getting into the swing of things
0: I think it works best when the character who's, who's drunk is one that's, like we say, would go to great lengths to pretend they weren't, like a Malvolio.
1: Or, yes. Um... Some kind of pompous character. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. your best
1: part of that day job was the directing and you mentioned Ring of Fire and then yeah. excellent shows that you mm-hmm. also programmed. What was the play with the sheep?
0: <laughs> that was that was an anomaly because you know how you spend a lot of time developing scripts and, and art and having difficult conversations with people about how this doesn't work and all that. And, and then the thing that actually goes, you know, viral in a sense and makes loads of money and gets New York Times press and all that kind of thing is a show that has one actor and six livestock in it. And, um, and, the, and it's just the gimmick really, isn't it? But. It was a very interesting concert. It was a, it was a Cambridge grad, and she was she'd done a very clever show about how the older generation are a bit at sea and lonely in the face of social media. And there was a, just an old guy trying to direct a Shakespeare in a barn with loads of sheep as the actors. The funny thing about the sheep is they had much better CVs than than sort of half the actors I've ever worked with because. <laughs> You know, training training livestock not to absolutely scream the place down under lights with a whole audience pointing and laughing at them is actually quite a feat. So worked with some great people at Vauxhall City Farm. And these sheep had been on you know, fried by dragons on Game of Thrones, no. had a nice little cameo in the background in Emmerdale, all that kind of stuff. They were all over <laughs> there. We actually got their B team, which is the one that weren't tagged to to fly internationally. <laughs> You're
1: joking! So, You're so joking. Yeah, um, yeah, to fly internationally, yeah, yeah. so you would have yeah, like yeah. a private jet filled with these sheep mm. who were like the equivalent of Ian McKellen, sort of with a, a scarf draped around the neck, smoking, being like, "Oh God, off to LA now."
0: Yeah, you can imagine them definitely wanting more champagne, can you? The actor who was the single actor that was with them, probably had yeah, probably about a quarter of the CV <laughs> they had, yeah. so and he good. was very good. He was very good. Yeah
1: what have been the worst parts of your day job
0: yeah there's so many things i think one time when i was asked to calculate the insurance on a on a performance artist setting her own vagina on fire that was up there um <laughs> oh like
1: my God. i did not see that coming. sort of
0: a version it was she was there were sort of acrobats from berlin but sort of also performance artists like the kind of thing where people you know Cut themselves with raz- razors and wrap themselves in cling film, and then yeah, that kind of that and kind of. Was, this and was
1: Judy Dench, wasn't
0: it? <laughs> Judi Drench, Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no. She, she, uh, she. No, she, she. She's had involvement, but not that. Um, no. <laughs> um, it gets pretty vibrant in you know, East London.
1: <laughs> so, how did you go about working out the insurance for this woman setting her vagina on fire?
0: yeah um you have to work out exactly what she's gonna do and um that of course was tough in terms of minefield in terms of you know how to go about having that conversation in a delicate manner. but um (laughs) but it was it was basically fire breathing but from another orifice orifice. and um and you know you had to do you had to have questions like you know how much flammable material is there (laughs) down in terms of like To be honest, I can't. To be honest, I think I've blocked a lot of the the um, detail of Mm. that. There's a lot of stuff I've blocked from those. Yes, (laughs) and I
1: wouldn't recommend putting any kind of flammable material down there it's not going to be good for the ph of a good old good old no. vagina <laughs> my goodness I mean you don't expect to have to consider that but of course art has no limits and if someone mm. wants to put a show on about that then you've got to be there doing all of the mm. the groundwork
0: yeah again again you know this wasn't when you when you book the show this isn't necessarily mentioned and then <laughs> you know you've got to you've got to play catch up with a lot of these things once um you know people have a booking form to fill on but they they omit certain facts I've worked out especially if they're coming internationally because once they're there you they, they you don't feel like you can turn them away so right so, yeah so, so, it's so much difficult. has gone into it's it difficult. okay but yeah um yeah that was probably probably among the maddest cross-section of events and the sheep of course as we mentioned earlier having them you know obviously they're not the cleanest of actors so you know their dressing room is a bit of a state afterwards etc
1: their dressing room, my God. I cannot like believe or understand how this works. It was the worked. office
0: behind the theatre, oh, so having a fairly extensive clean, so, so the, the theatre staff the next day would
1: it.
0: have a pungent office, oh, <laughs> basically.
1: I, I, I can't yeah. believe that. Did I ever tell you about the time I saw Swan Lake in Lyon and they had real swans on stage? And it was like this new conceptual thing where, you know, in the programme it sounded great. They were like, we've (laughs) trained all of these, you know, ballet dancers to rear the swans and really to connect with them. They've fed them, they've reared them, they've danced with them, rehearsed with them. And we really think that these swans are going to be, you know, part of the performance. And when I went to see it, the swans turned up and, you know, we were all expecting big things. And all they did was sort of waddle around, shit on the floor, and. Then waddle off again, and the dancers were desperately trying to bring them into their little—I don't know—PA unit. You you did ballet. Well, yeah, I was going to say everyone was
0: expecting that exact review for when Matthew Bourne said he was going to do it with men, but um, (laughs) but waddling off, shitting everywhere—not really, not really.
1: Exactly. Not
0: really sort of getting the vibe. Um, I just
1: remember the smell of, of swan shit as the curtain went down for the interval. Like the billowing curtain just sort of like wafted this overwhelming smell of, you know, pondy, pondy poo. Yeah. It was awful. It didn't work at all. And they were sliding around on it on stage, the dancers. Yeah. These things with animals. Yeah. No, don't that don't could, that's well. a
0: hospital job waiting to happen, isn't it, really? <laughs> I think. Yeah. Completely. Insurance on that would have been mad. But last time we say insurance yes. in this 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 episode, I think, because it's a very bo- it's a sort of inhe- inherently <laughs> boring word. <isn't> it? So,
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, good luck with this answer because it sounds like we've covered some pretty weird stuff already. Oh, yeah. But what has been what has been your weirdest mm. part of your day job or another day job if if that's easier? What's been your weirdest?
0: Maybe if we go away from the theatre to sort of had a few weird jobs. But I remember when I was working at an arts consultancy the the owner of that business had a um had had a sort of gentleman's club or something stupid on the other side of the road that had uh completely bombed and out of business and was basically derelict but the um the owner was very old and not really with it, and the builders that were doing it up on the opposite side of the street had basically sort of turned it into a brothel without under his under his nose. And we still had loads of office equipment over there. And I got sent at one point to go and claim our office equipment from the top floor of this mine's lane <laughs> address that had lots of very sort of red looking bulbs in the sort of top windows and sort of sheets on the windows. And I guess, yeah, I got, I, they, they were sort of pretty shocked to see me. And I went past them sort of pretty dodgy half open doors to get the printer and some documents and bring them back to our office but um what I did work out is if you sort of go any you can go anywhere with a smile and a clipboard is what I've worked out from from that is uh, you know there's there's a few things that sort of, you know have, have scared me over the years but that was that was I didn't because yeah at 21 or whatever, 22 whatever I was I, I don't You sort of just, you don't know anything about that. Well, not that I know much more about it now, obviously.
1: (laughs) The image of you with a smile and a clipboard. Smile, clipboard,
0: shirt on. Yeah, fresh, fresh (laughs) fresh-faced. Ah, hello, I'm Rupert, I'm a graduate, and uh, I've just graduated from Reading University, and I've got my first job, and I'd like to go into your brothel, please, to get some paperwork.
1: Thank God you weren't roped in. You would have been prime fodder to... to, Would I? I mean, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. From my experience as a
0: customer. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. Well, the older we get, the more we need these things, don't we? (laughs) Well, that, that job was very funny. I remember having to go to, cause what that basic summary of that job would be, if a, if a gallery needed, got a donated, um, works of someone when they died or something and, and wanted, mm-hmm. of doing the feasibility on whether to build a new wing to house it, they'd be, They'd come to us to, to design questionnaires for people to see if they'd, you know, pay to see that collection or whatever, you know. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So um, I'd do a lot of sort of recruiting focus groups and sort of running them. And So I had to go to Moss Side, which if you don't know, is quite a um, formidable part of Manchester. And ask people in what I thought at the time was, you know, it's sort of visibly quite a scary park. Um, ask them, if we put a statue here, would you if we put a fountain here? Would you vandalize it? <laughs> um, and um, uh, people weren't speaking for themselves necessarily, but the overriding answer was yes. And, um, and yeah. tail between my legs, back to London, really, for that one. Um, but yeah, <laughs> oh my that was a god, that's job.
1: amazing.
0: I, most most people were just laughing at me, and some people just walked away, shaking their heads, looking at me, laughing at me. Um, but. In fact, that was the override, overriding response. And then, you know.
1: Oh, about, yeah. So the clipboard and the smile didn't go down too well in Moss Side. That was the Weird, one place.
0: Funnily <laughs> enough, yeah, Moss Side broke the clipboard and the smile
1: regime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rupert, you've worked in the arts for a long <laughs> time. As I said in the introduction, you've now entered a job in construction and you're focusing on stand-up comedy.
0: Yeah, so I'm sort of going potentially in the opposite direction than some people might think they wanted to which is that mm-hmm. I had the job in the arts being paid regular income to do what I wanted to do a dream and then deciding the, yeah the dream isn't always the shape you think it's going to be and um mm. that I probably had the instinct for a good few years before I did leave that I pr- I, I, I preferred comedy to theater and working up in Edinburgh and like 07, 08, and running venues there. You did a lot, you saw a lot more comedy than theatre, just because logistically there's a lot more of it, because it only requires a person in the microphone, not, you know, 12 and hung, 12 hungry people or sheep. <laughs> comedy always sort of got me there. And there are a couple of comedians who, Paul Sinha, particularly Tiffany Stevenson, and I, I ran, yes. I was running their show, so I saw their show every night. And so if you see it, the same show every night for a month, you really get a flavour for how different stuff lands with different people. And I did a bit of comparing and stuff like that at university and things like that. So I got a bid and did, there were a couple of events at the theatre that I obviously ended up comparing as the director. Always felt like I and you know a couple of speeches at weddings where I always felt like I had sort of political shackles that meant I couldn't be as funny as I wanted to so be. Um, oh, exactly! And <laughs> the wedding is not
1: not the place, really, is it? Yeah, Some edgy, it. edgy comments. Well, it is
0: and It isn't. It isn't. It isn't. It depends if you can sort of do the sort of Simpsons thing of getting the jokes for both sides, but yes. that neither side understands the others, so that it's sort of a code. Oh, yeah. But, but um, and you can do it. You know, like most people over the age of sixty-five don't know. The word Mandy means MDMA, not a girl called Mandy. So you know you can have your fun with that, etc. But it's yeah, it's a bit of a tightrope. So yeah, and actually, it was it was you really. Um, You you came and did some comedy shows at the theatre, and obviously, I've had a lot and a lot of comedy for the theatre. But yours was the first one where I sort of felt ready to give it a go
1: because the standard was so low.
0: (laughs) No, no, actually, because because there there was that felt a little bit more affinity with what you guys were doing, and and you know we were we were making sort of friends at the same time as being colleagues, so and that's always nice when that happens. But there was there was an obvious more longevity to that, and and because I certainly because I was in the headspace where I wanted to get involved as well, and then COVID, and then I left the theatre, and then sort of all that kind of stuff happened. So, and one thing I I feel like having done only like one proper like gig. I can't really I obviously can't really call myself a comedian because I I mean you were there, hopefully it went well. I don't think you'd really call yourself a comedian until you've had some go really badly and blow up in your face and you know how that feels. So I'm looking forward looking forward to that. Yeah.
1: Me too. We'll be there together, you know, embracing each other backstage, yeah. crying into each other's shoulders. We'll we'll Good have stuff. that moment. I'm looking forward Good to that stuff. too. Yeah,
0: I mean, it'll be a culmination of everything that's gone before, really, in terms of my, my career. <laughs> so I'll need that cry um, and hope you're going to be there. And the other thing you mentioned was the construction, which is that sort of the way I kind of see it now, having, well, I, I guess I'll we'll use the word struggled with with a, with a job in the arts and doing art at the same time. Mm-hmm. The way I sort of figure is that you get a lot more choice if you go and get a day job that is stable, Hopefully, has a bit of flavour some money to it, but more, most importantly, doesn't have the same like entry barriers that the arts do. If you're if you're being pegged back every five and six opportunities, it just takes a toll, you know. And and I just I, I was never the kind of person that had the kind of tunnel vision to stick that kind of thing out. So the idea is that I go do something that sort of gets you up early, bit bit boring, but hopefully have some fun with it and gets you some longer and then that will give you options and choice in terms of where you want to put your artistic and creative endeavour.
1: Yes, the situation you're in now is an exciting one because if you were going into stand-up comedy while still working full-time at the theatre... Mm. what would you have to draw on? I mean, A, you probably wouldn't have time to do many gigs because you would be doing mm. a show, directing a show, but also all of your anecdotes, all of your kind of experiences would be based around these big artistic personalities. But, you know, working in construction mm. and having other experiences, you're going to have so many new characters and <laughs> you need to have a really different world mm. from your kind of freelance passion, yeah. I think. So It's re- I'm really excited. Yeah, here. I
0: mean... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, if you work in a theatre, all you really have to talk about is media introspective stuff. The the mystery of of showbiz is getting further and further dissected by behind the scenes and social media and everyone totally, sort of knowing yeah. the lives of the actors and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, actors' political views being sort of just as relevant as their the the shows they're in, etc. And so, yeah, if if I was doing comedy about there's a lot of people who like comedy that don't work in theatre <laughs> and don't work in the arts. And I think the arts is getting very introspective on itself. And is, to an extent really forgetting a lot of normal people that have normal jobs in terms of what they, they come up with material wise.
1: No, but you're so right. You're so right because I think, you know, often you'll do a show yourself, you know, a fringe theatre show, and you mm. know that the audience will be, Your friends, people in the (laughs) arts, actors, right? But the great thing about comedy is that comedy is for everyone. Everyone likes to laugh. You've got so many different types of comedians. Mm. You can't please everyone, but if you're just talking about introspective theatre stuff, people aren't gonna care. Mm. (laughs) So Rupert, thank you so much for sharing that and I'm really excited for your future, but how do you stay creative on the side?
0: I think staying creative on the side is very much uh, dependent on what the side is. If you're if you're someone who's mm. combining your two worlds and trying to get, say, uh, you're a box office manager at the same time as doing stand up or an actor, because this is sort of, it's not a great paid job, box office, right? So, mm-hmm. but you are in a theater. So are you making the use of the fact that you are in a theater doing box office? Because really it's just a job, unless you're using that time to make connections with other people in the, in the, on the staff, see what they're doing. Um, see if they're in any shows that are interesting. See if you can get involved in any of their creative plans in any way, that kind of stuff. Because I think what a lot of people do mm-hmm. is think, right, I've got a box office job or I've got a front of house job or I've got, um, a marketing job for, for an agency or something like that. And that's creative. So I'm doing both and I'm learning from both, but it's, it's, you've got to really try and get the most out of that day job. i I found that even after wearing a theater for 10 years, it sucked a lot out of my creativity, you know. And my job was to think about other people's creativity and, and facilitate that. Or do you separate and are you better at separating? I think um, one of the things that really struck me at the beginning of the whole COVID crisis was, I think the the government, obviously everyone was very worried. I think before the arts had hit and the, first, the initial 1.57 billion uh, as a parachute fund for people in the arts had emerged, people were obviously very scared and very worried and, Not sure what was going to happen, and I remember a government um, sort of call out for people within the arts to start start thinking about retraining at least for a side job and things like that. Do you remember this? Yes,
1: I do. Wasn't it maybe Fatima could try being an accountant, and she's a ballet dancer. Yes, something like that.
0: Something (laughs) like that. And there was, and 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 the my initial reaction, probably like most people's, was like. Don't push us around, government. You know, you're just based on. Oh no, this is gonna. This is a tee up for them, basically saying there's no money for you. And I remember a particularly striking image. I don't know how much she had to do with it, but a particularly striking image of Judy Dench in sort of scaffolding gear, saying, "Do I read? Yes. Is this? Is this? Is this what you want, Boris?" Type deal. Retraining is a scaffolder. <laughs> but um, whoever was responsible for it, I actually think was quite irresponsible in the making of it because. There are a lot of people in the industry that should that should retrain, especially if you just graduate and head first into COVID. So a lot of people should should be thinking very seriously about retraining because I think it's I, I even think it's better to have a job outside of it because it boosts your needs for creativity, because it makes creativity the relief.
1: That's a fantastic way of reframing that question. And I love it when guests just make me rethink it, because how do you stay creative on the side? You know, do you stay creative on the side or are you always creative? Because I, I can't remember who, I was mm. trying to find the quote, but probably someone like Werner Herzog or David Lynch is like, <laughs> I am always expressing my art. When I eat my breakfast, when I walk to the shops, <laughs> I am living art. And I, I just feel like, well, you know, maybe that's what, maybe that's how you see the world.
0: Each to their own. Um, yeah, obviously, <laughs> I'd spend less time around someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> because I'd want to, because I'd want to have more normal conversations as a rule. But, um, but you know, everyone, a bit, eccentric people are great. Love eccentric people.
1: <laughs> so, Rupert, do you have any money saving tips for fellow creatives out there?
0: I think one of one of the things I think is that you, it's not necessarily a money saving tip but it will will work out that way, is do have a group of friends in and outside the arts because it really does keep Mm -hmm. you sane. Like, don't... Yes. The people that I know are both feet socially within the arts are also sometimes the least happy because they don't have the sort of a, a point of reference of what it all means and what they're doing it for and who the subject... I mean, they're the subject of the entertainment, but who who's the receiver of the entertainment it's like tree falling in the woods like if no one's around to hear it and what's the point of mm. just a load of people who also do it hearing it If the point is to get people that yes. haven't heard anything like it before to hear it that's the key so and so great, yes. <laughs> and um and but but then to manage that very well so if you have a friend a group of friends outside the arts manage their expectations like don't Always be that person going to like fobbing them off and going, oh, I'll meet you for for drinks after dinner in this pretense that you're busy. Just be like, oh no, I can't afford that. I'll, I'll see you for drinks afterwards. You know, and yes. and don't gather that reputation for being the penniless artist too quickly. I'd say, but then also with mm-hmm. with your friends within the arts, you know, do have have fun on a budget. You know, everyone likes drinking stuff after after the show and stuff because yeah, why would we be actors and performers if we couldn't be praised for it and patted on the back of the show, right? But <laughs> um, yeah, let other people buy the drinks in that circumstances because you just did a fucking show, do you know? what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, um, yes, exactly. And you know, make lunches, pack lunches. The the whole world is so chip and pin geared into your, your your you believing that you have to part with your money to to not be hungry. Like there's there's yes. a, what I worked out about myself since I left the theater and, and and like we had lockdown and stuff and like there's a big difference between peckish and hungry and um and like <laughs> and, and and the world that you go out and you sort of like see flashing imagery and 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 adverts in and and walk past pret four pretz on your way to work is geared to make you think mm. peckish is hungry. And, and like, and, and if you make a packed lunch, it's not that you're, it's that you know you've got your lunch already. It's a difference. It's not that, oh, I know you go, you don't eat it when you feel peckish because you know you won't have it later and you want your lunch later. And there's just like the world is a bit online, Amazon, everything. It's just it's just obviously very cleverly geared to make you believe you need stuff when you don't.
1: And that's gonna be my new sort of recurring thought as I go out and about in, in London. Am I peckish or am I hungry? Is the world trying to convince me?
0: Yeah, and don't and don't spend twenty five pounds when you're earning eighty pounds that day <laughs> on lunch, you know?
1: It yeah. sounds simple, but it's, it people need foolish. reminding, you're right.
0: And coffee culture as well. Playing like paying like three pounds fifty for essentially Squash beans and frothy milk and a variety of different sugars. because right, I,
1: wor- I am the worst victim of <laughs>
0: like, coffee culture. It really culture.
1: is. I'm such, I'm such an <laughs> idiot. It makes me hate myself that I will shell out £3.50 mm. on that. When I have a but, coffee machine at home that I bought to stop me doing it, I mean, I yeah. hate myself.
0: <laughs> but looping back to the clipboard, yeah. it's soup, clipboard, and actually a takeaway cup of coffee are up there in the most sort of visual... I've got a right to be here, I'm legit sort of thing. So you can go a lot of places with a little cup of coffee in your Very true. And, you know. I
1: feel like we might <laughs> be sort of just giving advice to potential fraudsters out there, you know, just turning up at people's mm. houses with this this familiar uh, uniform of clipboard. Is this a brothel?
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, I've come exactly. to inspect your heating, you know, like, <laughs> where, where did my jewellery go? Yeah, Sense. I don't know.
0: Sounds like a bad porn movie. Yeah. I've watched
1: that. But if you're, you know, working in construction as well, I would imagine yeah. that you're so used to making things with your hands um, that, you know, you want to make a sandwich with your hands. You want everything to be DIY. <laughs> Maybe not. That's, that's a very tenuous uh, idea.
0: That's a, potentially a performer's perspective on construction, <laughs> but I'll go with it, yeah. Yeah, I love
1: the symbolism that he brought out this homemade wrap. <laughs> straight after he just erected a shelf i loved it i loved it yeah Mm.
0: no it's just protein required to move 900 kilogram steels
1: yeah oh god okay (laughs) fantastic yeah are you peckish or are you hungry Mm. make your own lunch do you Mm. need that coffee Mm. that's great advice and also yes what you said about friends have friends in the creative arts but also friends who are not because you don't want to be in an echo chamber (laughs) finally rupert what would be your dream job or your dream position to be in
0: I've always sort of thought I've missed the opportunity to sort of go into casting. Mm. I always thought casting would be kind of fun. It half sounds really fun and half sounds really boring, obviously, because you're going to argue with a lot of agents about, you know, whether they can have strawberries and cream sent freshly daily to their (laughs) caravan. But you're also going to spend a lot of time doing what we all love doing, which is spot the actor you recognise from another movie, you know, the IMDb game. Yes. Um, but the other thing I, I, I occurred to me just before I sat down to do this on that question, there was a really inspirational, uh, little kids theatre in Wimbledon called the Polka Theatre that I went to a couple of times in school, primary school, and yes. they were really good at puppetry and things, and they sort of did incredible things like boil down, you know, the Odyssey into a sort of hour and a half long thing with, with puppets and, and, you know. Fantastic. And, yeah. I, I think yeah, teaching kids drama is something that's a little bit like really rewarding because you know you're going to have you're going to be really early in their journey, and so I think it, one of the most responsible levels we can be at is is TIE and theatre and education and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'd love my dream job would be go and run that little theatre in Wimbledon where it yeah. all began. I think.
1: Oh, how, what a wonderful mm. dream to have! I can totally see that that's doable as well. You've probably thought of this already, but maybe you could, um, using your construction management skills, build, erect your own children's theatre and then start running it yourself mm. i mean you must it must have crossed your mind
0: uh, a lot of that a lot of stuff like that has crossed my mind like um my brother and i uh my brother's an architect and so oh. and with the with the la- overlapping construct and actually he used to as little for little projects when he was just an architect student he used to go and build temporary stages for comedy festivals and things like that and um so building a theatre is uh sounds mental doesn't it but i think i mean jez bond did that with um with the park theatre a few years ago that was just, yes. you know, that, could, that worked very well so um, no, yeah, you never know what the future holds but you, you can only just sort of develop the cards that you want to play
1: absolutely well that was a mm. wonderful note to leave it on thank you Rupert you've been a fantastic guest and is there anything you'd like to plug
0: plug oh gosh whenever your next comedy night is probably if I can have a <laughs> slot that probably be the next thing I plug but yes. who knows when that's going to be so
1: your next comedy gig <laughs> TBC <laughs>
0: I've had a great time. Thank you so much.
1: No, thank you, Rupert. Thank you.